and I was merging onto I-4, and I don't know if you know this, but in the downtown area, which is now where I live, I live next to Lake Eola, um, there's a ton of construction around I-4, and, and so they're moving construction barriers all the time, and so I was merging onto I-4 and drinking from my uh, coffee mug, and uh, I hit a construction barrier. Um, now, they call them an accident for a reason. It was not on purpose. I felt incredibly stupid. But, but on my way there, uh, on my way to work, I hit this construction barrier. I barely felt it. I didn't hit it very hard. It just skidded the side of my car. Um, but I saw in the corner of my eye my hubcap go flying into the air straight into Lake Ivanhoe. It's still in Lake Ivanhoe. I can't get it. I was looking for it actually yesterday because I wanted to save me 25 bucks um, from buying a new hubcap to just put the same old one on. But my hubcap went flying off. Um, my tire blew. My whole rim of my tire like bent in sideways. So like the tire was like this. Now it's like this with like reached over in on itself and, and some of my body got um, hurt on the front of the car. And so I had to pull off into this construction zone on I-4 and I had to change my wheel, uh, which I don't know if any of you have changed your wheel before. Um, the one piece of advice that I'm gonna give you, if you ever have to put on a spare tire, you have to loosen the bolts before you jack up your car, right? And so, because the, the, the wheel needs to be on the ground so that you can loosen the bolts. When, once your car is jacked up, you always wanna put like as little force on it as possible because it's really easy for it to slip off the jack and that'll actually break your axle if it falls off because the wheel is loose, the wheel is breaking. You want to be careful with that. And so in order to do that well, because this is a new car for me, I mean, I know even worse to get in a car accident with a new car. Uh, I was, I'm still a little frustrated about it, but, but I, I grabbed the owner's manual, right? And all of us have a ton of manuals, but I can guarantee that all of your parents have an owner's manual to your car. Now, you don't read the owner's manual. It's not something that you just pick up and, and read and decide to read through before you start driving your car. You test drive a car. You're like, oh, is this a good car? Maybe you drive like this if you're a good person. I drive just with one hand, normally like this. Actually, I lean on the inside. Um, maybe that's not good. Don't do that on your driver's test. Use your two hands. But you read the owner's manual whenever something starts to go wrong so that you can, you can kind of figure out um, how to fix your car. And I had to do that because Volkswagens are German cars. They're European-style cars. Now, most U.S. and Asian cars have a very specific kind of Japanese-U.S. cars. They have a very specific way that they're fixed, and they're all the same. But European-style cars, it's, a it's always a little bit different. And I didn't want to mess anything up because I only know the U.S. way to fix things. And so I was reading through the manual and fixing it. And I started thinking, you know, I know a lot of people who tell me that opening the Holy Word of God, opening the Holy Scriptures is really similar to looking at an owner's manual for, for us to be able to see. So this is the owner's manual of life. This is what you do when life goes wrong. And I think they're absolutely 100% wrong. And, and I can tell you because of this experience. Because see, we're called to dive into the story of Scripture. We're called to enter into the narrative of Scripture of a scripture that's alive. It's not just an owner's manual that we approach when things are going wrong, but it's something that's living and that's active. And in fact, what I think it would be like is if Mr. Volkenwagen, so I drive a Volkswagen Jetta, Mr. Volkenwagen was driving in my passenger seat with me. And we were having a conversation with one another. And while we were having a conversation with one another, I hit that construction barrier. And after I hit that construction barrier, then he says, hey, 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 I built this car. I designed this car. I understand this car. 
And so let me fix that for you. He goes out and fix it. And then, and then he'll say, okay, but let's keep talking about what we were talking about. See, we're called to engage scripture, to wake up and, and, and maybe it's in the mornings, maybe it's at night. Um, I would really encourage you all to engage scripture daily, at least weekly, um, really try to get into it because this is how we build our relationship with the word of God. And we're going to talk a lot about the word of God being Jesus Christ today. See, it's much more like Mr. Volkenwagen being beside me because as we read scripture, it's about building our relationship, our conversation with Jesus. Scripture speaks back to us. We speak to scripture as opposed to it just being an owner's manual that we look at every once in a while. C.S. Lewis is really famous um, for having uh, come to Christ. He came to Christ at a later age, in his 30s, um, and he considers himself the most skeptical and and the most, uh, oh, I can't think of the word, but pushing away of Christianity, reluctant convert is the word that he gives himself. He said, I didn't want to convert to Christianity. Um, But the way that he did is there was a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings. He's a very famous author, especially in this day of age with those movies. And they were having a discussion until 3 o'clock in the morning about stories and about narrative and of how there's this common narrative that runs through every single great story. And the reason that there's one common narrative that runs through every single great story is because there's one common narrative that's true. And that truth we see in the Gospel of John. Now, this idea completely changed C.S. Lewis's life. He's written a lot of books about a lot of different directions, some of which are much more focused on the logical side of, uh, and the reason side of, of where God is, but many of which are written based on this analogous, this idea of of the narrative of life being true. And what we're going to get to look at in the Gospel of John is the narrative of Jesus Christ himself. Um, The Gospel of John is all about testimonies of Jesus. But before we dive into that, I really want you all to look at these two questions with me. because we're going to begin to experience what it means to not only open the Bible, but what it means to walk up to Jesus and to have a conversation with him. Um, but before we dive into John, please ask yourselves these two questions in your groups. Uh, if you're not with other people, text each other, get some sort of way to get contact. These two questions we're going to put on the screen right now. Have you ever felt intimidated walking up to a large or important house or building? And why is this sometimes so daunting? I think it's similar with scripture, but I want you to think at a very, very easy level. Is it intimidating to walk up to a large, important house? And why is it daunting? And the second question, when we speak words, it is in a sense a part of us. People hear us say something and they assume we say what we mean. And, and you'll, I'll hear people all the time say to me, but you said, and then people comment as if my words are are an action of who I am. People comment if our deeds don't match up to our words. And so what do our words, here's the question, what do our words reveal about our hearts and character? Um, So as you take a a look at those questions, take some time to talk about them, and we're going to have some of you all Skype in and and mention what you kind of talked about in that time. All right, so we're going to jump straight into John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I really hope you can bring them so that you can kind of write through them some. Um, but go ahead and open that up to John chapter 1, and we're just going to look at the first five verses for now, and then we'll, we'll jump into some more. So John is an apostle, okay, of Jesus Christ. Now, John 
during this time, especially the beginning of his book that he writes, he's just a teenager. He's probably somewhere around, but somewhere between 15 and 18, which means he's probably most of your age. Um, so he's a teenager within uh, Jewish life. The Jews are overcome by the Roman Empire, and as they're overcome by the Roman Empire is when all of these events begin to take place. But John writes this letter in the way later years of his life, like approximately when he's like 80 years old. Towards the very end of his life is when John writes, I said letter, but, but this book. Now, I don't want you to be confused because John doesn't actually introduce himself until the very end of the book. In the beginning of the book, he's actually talking about another John who's very famous called John the Baptist. We're going to talk about that when we get there. But we have John the Apostle, who's, who's somebody um, who writes these words, who is an eyewitness to the things that Jesus does. And John really wants us to pay attention to this intro as we begin to look at um, his book. And so John chapter 1 says this. We'll pull up this on the screen for you. It says, In the beginning was the Word, Word capitalized, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness cannot overcome it. And so in the beginning was the word, and, and we, we begin to study this word, and this word, this word that's lasting. See, we know from Isaiah, um, uh, he's actually, uh, he's, he's talking about in Isaiah, um, and you can pull, yeah, he's talking about in Isaiah, um, Isaiah brings up the word of God and the importance of the word of God, and John's quoting this because he knows that people will know the prophet Isaiah, and, and Isaiah talks about how the word of God is lasting, that the word of God is eternal, um, and that the word of God is going to go out, and it's going to bring three things. It's going to bring life. The word of, is, of God is going to go out, and it's going to bring healing, and the word of God is going to go out, and it's going to bring hope. And we also see the light being talked about. And, and see, this, this word and this light, the Greek philosophers who, who many would have read this book of John because they lived in this time, they looked at word and they looked at light as incredibly abstract things. They were looking for this perfect abstract word, this perfect abstract light that they could grasp, that they could understand in order to find life, in order to find hope, and in order to find healing. But what John so clearly wants to tell us in the very beginning of his gospel is that what this gospel of John is all about, what this testimony of John is all about, is that Jesus is this word. That, that people have been looking for an idea when they should have been looking for a person. And this person is the person of Jesus. So I want you to look at these two questions as we start, and then we're going to Skype somebody in, um, but we'll pull them up on the screen for you. The first one is, in the beginning, echoes the opening lines of Genesis. Why does John begin his story of Jesus with this reference to the story of creation? And then the second question I want you all to ask is verses 1 and through 2 and verse 18 begin and end this passage by stressing that the word was and is God and is intimately close to God. Why does John emphasize this so strongly? So go ahead and discuss those in your groups and then we'll Skype somebody in. Uh, hey guys, it's Alex, it's Jonathan. Aaron, yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about the question a little bit. 
I think Aaron has the answer. Okay, so it was basically to show that Jesus was God, that he created all things, that he is the Messiah. Yeah, right. So you're talking about that first question or the second question? First one, in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but that Jesus was in the beginning. That Jesus isn't somebody who came after God, but Jesus is somebody who is present in God and a creator with God in the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What about that second question? Second question. So. That's the the verses. Right now. Yeah. I'm sorry. The second question was one through two, or? Why does John? I don't know. I only saw. So the question is: um, Is why does John emphasize so strongly that the word was and is God and is intimately close to God? Oh, to show that the relationship between the triune God and hell, they're all the same. They're the different personages, the same people. Yeah. And I'm going to break that down in a little bit. Um, For the sake of time, thank you guys so much for connecting. We're going to keep running. I know that we're running um, close to 3.30. We're going to run a little bit late. I would love if you all could stay connected with us right up till the end. Um, But we're going to keep running with this. Um, And I'm going to talk specifically about what Alex talked about at the end, at the very end of what we're talking about today. So hold on till the end. If you can't, maybe we'll post this online or something so that you can see this. Um, But we're going to keep blazing through because this intro is a summary of the entire Gospel of John. And so we're going to read the rest of this intro, starting in verse 6, and we're going to read all the way through verse 18. So in verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, John, this is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. Um, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, to all, now notice that's a huge word, to all who received him, which means the whole world, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, this is again John the Baptist, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I want to to read that again. No one has ever seen God. Now, there's a semicolon here. That's important. That means it's separating two sentences. One sentence, no one has ever seen God. Second sentence, the only God who is at the Father's side. So the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, Jesus has made him known, right? So I want, to, I want us to focus in in understanding what that last sentence says because it's huge. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, the only God, which is all that this intro has been talking about, Jesus has made God known to us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, because this whole interest, intro, it's about that Jesus is at the center, Jesus is the one who contains life. Jesus is the one who contains light that we as darkness might challenge him, that the world as darkness might challenge him, but our darkness cannot overcome him. And that Jesus overcame 
And then Jesus is transforming our very lives, not only the lives of the nation of Israel, but the lives of all of the world, and that everyone is now included. See, um, John, when he was writing this gospel, he understood that everybody was included. That's why he talked about it so much. But the Jews, who are actually, we're going to see at the very beginning of this gospel, Jesus' first disciples, when they started following him as the Messiah, they actually thought that he only came to be king of the Jews that he didn't come to save the world, that he only came to take the Jews out of Rome. And we're going to look at that a little bit. But now everybody is included, and all darkness is being wiped away, and we're all being reconciled to God, both you and me, Um, which is just a phenomenal thought. Now I want you to look at these next two questions, uh, and then we'll jump further. And the first question is this. This is the theme of John's gospel. So if you want to stick to something, be like, this is what John is all about. It's about this. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. How does our understanding of God get off track when we try to think about who he is apart from Jesus? That's a hard question, but wrestle with it. And then have you experienced becoming... uh, or becoming transformed is what that question said. That's a typo. Have you experienced becoming transformed by believing in the name of Jesus, or have you seen it happen in the lives of others? Okay, so Jesus is transforming people from darkness into light. Um, Jesus is God, and we need to take a long and hard look at him to begin to understand God. Uh, So go ahead and ask yourselves those two questions. We'll Skype somebody else in. Hi, guys. I'm Jacob from uh, Winter Park. Um... So for the first question, I feel like sometimes we can sometimes have a very idealistic idea of God that would kind of play to what we want him to be for us. So we really need to have a like a long, hard look at Jesus to understand what God truly is and how he truly acts. That's a way better answer than I would have given. Um, yeah, Jesus totally gives us that image of who God actually is as opposed to who we want God to be in our minds. That's awesome, dude. Um, what about that second question? Have you experienced... Hi, guys. I'm Jacob from... Uh, oh, gosh. Farms. Oh, man. Sorry. Can you just mute that? Yeah, yeah. I muted myself. Sweet. Thank you. Um, so for the second question, uh, my friend actually told me a story the other day. It's a long story, so I won't really get all the way into it. But um, basically, it, it just it outlined how... Um, there was a guy on a mission trip and some women asked them, asked him to pray for, uh, their baby that had been blind. And the guy totally didn't feel equipped to like pray for the women's baby. But the moral of the story ended up being since the women had such faith in the missionary, um, they, he ended up like healing the baby just miraculously. And it was just their faith that, um, let that happen. Dude, that's so cool. Where, where'd you hear that? Uh, Papa G told me that. Okay. Mr. Gritter. Mr. Gritter's yeah. a good man. Yeah. Um, the faith of God can do extraordinary things, uh, extraordinary things in healing, but also spiritual healing in our lives and complete life change. Um, my father-in-law, um, he, 
he has a similar story, except his wasn't actually a physical ailment, but a mental one of a huge alcoholic and narcotics user. And uh, since the church has completely made a life change to where someone um, who is broken free from a lot of that bondage, uh, not only physical bondage, but God also heals us, heals us from spiritual bondage. Thank you for jumping in, Jacob. Um, no we're problem. Gonna, we're going to keep rolling for the sake of time, even though I feel like that deserves a little bit more in, for, than just what you were talking about. Um, so we're going to skip some of this scripture, which I'm so sad about because I really wanted to talk about John the Baptist and Passover and the Exodus. And so I'm not going to have time if there's enough push for like, hey, I really want to hear about that. Maybe we'll make a little podcast or something on the side that we can send out to you all. But we're going to start up again in verse 35. And so we kind of looked at this intro to John. Now in verse 35, we're going to look at... Um, the Gospel of John decides to start with Jesus gathering his first disciples. And, and his, most of his first disciples are named, all of them except for one is named. And I'm actually going to tell you why that one wasn't named or why I think personally um, that he wasn't named. And, and so we're going we're gonna to start in verse 35. So the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist still. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw these two disciples following him, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Then he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, if you read further, you hear more about how Jesus takes them in as his disciples. These people are, are Andrew, Simon, Peter, and then an unnamed disciple. That unnamed disciple throughout this entire Gospel of John is actually John himself. So John writes, and he doesn't name himself until the very end. He's kind of this shadowy figure uh, that we discover as him at the very end of this gospel. But I think it's important that you all recognize this because in that, please read this chapter this week. You're going to see he pulls out the Arabic words. So he pulls out the word Cephas. Jesus gives Peter a new name, which the Arabic word is, is Cephas or Cephas. Or I'm probably saying it wrong, but C-E-P-H-A-S is the phonetic spelling. And and in Greek, that word is petros, right? Petros or like rock, um, which then the English translation is Peter. And that's actually why we get the word Peter. But John thinks it's important to write the Arabic in. And the reason he thinks it's important is because he remembers the very Arabic words that Jesus said at that time. And so he wants us to hear them. But what I want you to recognize and what they didn't realize is that they thought they were looking for the Messiah, they thought they were looking for who to follow and were looking for the Messiah. But when we read this, we recognize that Jesus is actually looking for his first followers. See, they thought they were looking for the Messiah and then they come to realize the Messiah was actually looking for them. And we're going to hear a story about that in a little bit and talk about that more. But I want us all to know, oftentimes we read the Gospel of John and what the Gospel of John is written to do is for people to seek God or to seek the Savior of the world and to seek the Savior of the world within Jesus. But what they come to realize is that they walk up towards this grandiose house of the Gospel of John is that Jesus himself comes out and Jesus is seeking to reveal himself to them. Not only are we seeking to grasp more of Jesus, but as we read these words, we're going to recognize that Jesus is seeking to show more of himself to us. 
Now in verse 51, which is the last verse of chapter 1, which closes the introduction, um, we have something of of a strange verse happen, but I want to break this down because I think it's important. In verse 51, Jesus says to Nathanael, who's another first disciple, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So in verse 51, and he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, Jesus is actually talking about in Genesis. There's this guy named Jacob and Jacob is the younger brother of Esau. Jacob does a number of very dishonest things. He steals his brother's birthright. He runs away and then he's lying naked upon a rock because he's ran away from his family and, and completely disowned people. And then as he's lying there naked and, and unaware, out of nowhere, God decides to open heaven, the heavens above him and this ladder comes down. And when the heavens are opened, Jacob gets to see angels of God going from heaven to earth through this ladder. And what Jesus is actually saying here is, you are going to see through me, through the person of Jesus, not through, not through this idea of a word, not through this idea of a light, but through this person, you are going to see the ladder come down. You are going to see heaven collide with earth in a beautiful exchange where the angels of God are ascending and are descending upon me, the son of man. And Nathaniel is thinking, when he says the Son of Man, Nathaniel is thinking that Jesus must be the new king of the Jews who's going to take them away from Rome. But what Nathaniel is soon going to find is that Jesus is coming so that the whole world might know what it means for heaven to collide with earth. That the whole world might know the love of God and that the whole world might know the hope that is in Christ. And so what I want you to look at now as this last question, and then Brooke's actually going to tell a story um, for y'all about where she has experienced um, trying to seek Jesus and then recognizing that Jesus was seeking her. But this last question that I want you all to discuss is, are there any ordinary people like Andrew, Simon, Peter, Nathaniel, or this unnamed disciple who's John in your life that you might can consider inviting. Jesus invited them, come and see. Come and see where I am staying. Come and see where I am going. To come and see Jesus. Are there people in your life that you might consider inviting to come and see Jesus so that they too might experience what it's like for heaven and earth to be opened and to collide with each other right before their very eyes? If so, What kind of come and see invitation might you make to them? So I want you to discuss with each other, whether that's in text messages or whether that's uh, in some other form of communication. If you're in the same room, that's the best. Um, But what would it look like to offer these come and see invitations? And who would you offer those to? Because we're about to come and see the person of Jesus uh, right up until August 4th. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. Uh, So take some time to answer those questions. Then you're going to hear from Brooke. Hey guys, I'm Brooke. So Cody asked me this question of, um, is there a point in your life where you realized that you were seeking for God and you were trying to find him, but you realized that he was seeking after you? And it took me a couple minutes to think about it, but then I just started thinking about the moment where, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, I, I grew up at Northland. Um, so the word and God has always been a part of my life. My parents did a really good job at raising me in the church. But um, when I was in eighth grade going into high school, I was really battling um, trying to figure out who God was, um, 
the logic behind it, I was really struggling with. I didn't see how any of it made sense to and why people could believe in it. Um, so I was just asking a lot of questions, and I didn't deny the faith, but I was struggling to figure out my place in it, and I never felt like I had that big aha moment. I never gone through any major battle. And so eighth grade, I just started to really connect um, with Northland and really connect with the church, and it became something that I wanted to go to. I wanted to ask more questions. I wanted to to learn more and read more books and, and dive into my Bible. Um, and so I just really started to seek God. But throughout that time, I was also going through making the adjustment of, you know, a middle schooler and having the, just those battles of what's my priorities in life, where, where do I stand? And I grew up dancing, um, and so dance has always been my number one priority um, to that point, and I was dealing with a lot of persecution at dance. So they were questioning why I was missing practice to go to church, or um, I was getting bothered when and upset that I had to be at dance and I couldn't be with my family at church service, or it just became some, like an unhealthy environment that I didn't want to, to be in anymore. And so I made a really hard decision to let go of dance um, and to start following Christ. But everything was so unclear, and I really struggled with finding out where do I stand. I'm walking into high school not knowing anybody, not having that identity where I placed um, myself at dance. I didn't, I didn't have any of that anymore. So that became a huge battle for me. And so eighth grade and that summer, as I was finding my place in God, it hit me. Like I was on, I was on the stage at Northland, which sounds kind of crazy, but um, I got the opportunity to dance at Northland. And that, it was just this moment where um, I, I collided with Christ. I collided with this idea that God has this plan for me, um, but that I'm, I'm supposed to be seeking after him. I'm supposed to be to looking for him, but that I was looking almost too hard, which sounds kind of crazy, but that he was there the entire time, and I was just completely missing the point that he had for me all throughout middle school, all throughout eighth grade when I was really struggling to trying to find him, that he was there the entire time, and I was just looking in all the wrong places. Um, so I think that... Um, you know, when we go back to John and we're looking, why didn't they realize that the Messiah was looking for them? I think it was almost, you know, for me in my case, that you were, I was looking too hard and looking in the wrong places. I was expecting God to not be there when really he was working through those situations where I didn't feel him at all. Um, so yeah, I, that's kind of my story. And that was the, the point where my walk with Christ became a lot more intentional and purposeful because it was something that I started to feel really connected to him and to have that relationship with him. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to to learn from him and to learn from people. And so that, that was kind of that moment where I was able to, to feel him and feel his presence in my life um, just by looking for him, but looking almost not too hard um, and just seeing where he was already working in the situations that he's placed in front of me. So um, that being said, I'm going to pray us out, and then we will see you guys um, not next week, but we will. We have um, the collective is on the 27th, so make sure you, you guys are there, and we will see you then. So I'm going to pray. Hey, Jesus, I thank you so much for this time and just 
the opportunity that you've given all of us to um, be present in your word and be present with you and feel you as we go um, on our campuses on a daily basis. We ask that you can just pour into us and that we can um, experience your presence in the midst of our battles and that when we're looking for you um, and just seeking this point where we don't know where you're at, that we can just find you, um, we can find where you are at and we can find that you've been working in the situations that we haven't felt you in um, and that we know you're there and we know that there's a there's purpose behind the battles that we're going through and that through that we can go closer instead of farther from you. We love you and we thank you for the community that you've placed in our lives and our schools. Amen. We will see you guys at the collective.